Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. Pod Control is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCTL Podcast. It's good to be back with you. A couple of weeks off, uh, a little bit busy with some work stuff, and uh, a little bit of vacation mixed in there before Red Hat Summit and KubeCon comes along. So, good to be back with everybody. You know, one of the topics that we get all the time is we ask for uh, listener feedback and, and things and topics that you'd really like to talk about um, kind of is this intersection between two things. One of them is, the, you know, the question of obviously people are becoming more comfortable putting uh, applications into containers. They're trying to get them into production uh, and and more and more types of applications. So not just stateful applications, but stateful applications and more complex applications. So that always brings up the topic of, you know, what do we do with storage? What do we do with our data? How should we manage that? And then the second thing becomes, you know, now that we potentially are figuring out how to manage data with containers, how do we do it in the more dynamic ways that are evolving? You know, so whether you consider that to be DevOps or CI, CD environments, whatever that is, how do we deal with more dynamic needs for storage that associate with our container applications? So today, very, very excited to have a couple of guests with us today, and we're going to really dig into these topics. So very excited to have both Annette Kluett as well as Travis Nielsen, uh, both from the Red Hat storage team. So Annette and Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks a lot. So before we dive into uh, the topics we're going to talk about today, we're really going to kind of hit on, you know, software-defined storage, uh, Rook as a as a storage management uh, sort of type of platform and set of tools, as well as uh, Ceph as a an example of uh, software-defined storage. Um, Annette and Travis, Annette, go ahead and go first, but give us a little bit of your background, kind of kind of how you came into this space and um, some of the things that you're working on today. Okay, I'll, I'll start. Um... Yeah, um, Annette Kluet. I'm in the uh, actually I'm in the business unit, the storage business unit, and um, in a, a team that does storage architecture work. Uh, but my focus for the last well, I've I've been a, a Red Hat employee for over two years, but my focus has been pretty much solely on integrating um, storage with OpenShift, and. Um, so I've, you know, had a lot of experience. We've had some learnings in, in the last two years. So we'll be discussing some of that. But that's uh, that's what I've been doing. Travis, how about yourself? Yeah, uh, good to be with you this afternoon. Uh, so Travis Nielsen, uh, one of the Rook maintainers. I've, I've been with the Rook project since its start, around three years ago, plus or minus. You know, before that, I've been in storage for for many years. Uh, I, I joined Red Hat about a year ago um, to work more closely with the Ceph team. And, and make sure that we have a good solution, solid solution um, for people to use Rook in, in production with Ceph. So it's it's been a great year working uh, with the Ceph team, of the growing community. Yeah, so. yeah, very very good. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna point to a couple of videos. Um, you know, obviously we're gonna get into some depth with the show today. But uh, both uh, Travis and Annette have done a couple of a couple of videos at recent events. Uh, Travis at KubeCon uh, and both of them at a recent. OpenShift Commons gathering uh, the last over the last three to six months. We'll put both those videos uh, in the show notes for folks that you know as you're watching the show today um, and you want to dive into more depth. There's some really nice uh, technical dive deep dives into the things that we're going to talk about as well as a number of demonstrations to show how the technology works, what the user interaction looks like, the user interfaces. So uh, as you're listening to the show today, know that there's going to be quite a bit of other things that you can go back and look at and reference and read that include both uh, Annette and Travis 
uh, speaking about this. So let's sort of start off with the high-level concept. Um, you know, I know we've talked about storage generally on the show. Uh, we've talked in about a number of the things that have come into Kubernetes over the years in terms of trying to make storage easier to provision and, and keep track of. But let's let's start a little bit higher. Um, you know, in general, people still ask me the question a lot of times of you know, do we use existing types of storage, typically kind of hardware-centric storage from, you know, typical storage vendors, NetApps or EMC or or anybody along those lines, or should they be considering software-defined storage? So the types of things like, uh, you know, OpenShift container storage or Portworks or some of the other things that are out there. In general, is there a philosophy or a, or a trend that you're seeing in terms of, you know, when it's ready for uh, for production? Should it be used more for infrastructure-centric things on a container platform? Is it ready for the applications on a container platform? What what do you hear from, from companies that are, are exploring this sort of decision point? Yeah, I'll, I'll start up, uh, Brian. So, you know, because I've been in the storage BU and have been uh, working on these solutions and, and actually, you know, testing them, trying to test them before some of our customers get to it, I can tell you that um, the way that software-defined storage solutions integrate with OpenShift uh, bring, you know, a few, I think, advantages over, you know, sort of traditional storage. Um, one of them that you already mentioned, which is really important, is that when I have a, an application which requires state, um, you know, I need some type of persistent storage. And I would like, as, you know, either in a DevOps or in some type of situation, I, I want to be able to provision that sort of on-demand. And, and what we call that is sort of dynamic provisioning. So there, with with Kubernetes uh, in tree and out of tree, there are um, what we call volume plugins that have been developed for quite a few types of storage. Um, and if you integrate that into your OpenShift via something called a storage class, then at a developer or at the level of, of a, an application, um, someone who's developing an application, they literally just in their template or in their um, what the way that they're actually you know deploying their application, they can reference the storage class. They don't need to know a lot about what storage is actually behind it. They just sort of need to know that it's persistent storage and it meets their needs. They reference the storage class. They reference the size of um, what we call the persistent volume that they want to use. And it's, you know, the, the mount point in the application. And without doing, you know, anything else on their part, they're able to um, get the, the persistent storage claimed and mounted to their, their application in the appropriate location. So that is, you know, lends itself really well to software-defined storage because not only can, you know, are there dynamic um, provisioning uh, capabilities available, but... You can extend the storage, and you can even actually, in the case of OpenShift Container Storage uh, from Red Hat, you can you can manage that storage within the OpenShift um, cluster. So it, it it turns out that um, you can actually have the the storage deployed as containers, and then the containers consume the available storage devices, and that that is then what what the storage class points to for provisioning. And on the back end of it, there's lots of, I guess, things you could use. You could actually use traditional storage and carve it up, give it to, you know, something like a, um, a Rook stuff environment, and it'll, it'll actually provide it to the users via the storage class. 
So uh, hopefully that's making sense, but that that's how it works. <clears throat> it, it makes a lot of sense. I think we're we're really we're kind of we, we went through this phase if if people were involved like with virtualization where you had to get used to this idea that you know the entire system didn't take months to provision anymore. You could get the compute very quickly, and then you know you needed to get the associated storage, and then over time the associated storage became an API call. And I think we're seeing that now in the container world is that as we're seeing, uh, you know, dev and ops teams kind of become closer together, working more quickly, um, they need that model as well. So, the, you know, the kind of walking through that you did of saying uh, we, we have pools of storage, we make them, you know, dynamically available through an API, through a, a PV, uh, through uh, storage controllers, and then exposing those to through self-service catalogs or some way. Um, does does help connect the dots between I want to have an application right now and I need all the underlying resources right now as well. So it made, made a lot of sense. Yeah, another thought on this as well is one of the initial motivations for, for the Rook project was saying, hey, storage has been traditionally this separate separate beast. It's treated differently, provisioned it separately. Like, why does it have to be separate? Let's create a system where it's just another application that you deploy with Kubernetes, you manage it with the same tools, you manage your other applications. Um, It just happens to be storage, and it will take advantage of the storage you've already got available inside your your cluster. Yeah. Yeah, treating it the same as other applications and not thing. Right, right. Um, Now, you know, storage for anybody who's, who's had to manage it in real life, uh, not the simplest thing in the world. Uh, we always have, have said, you know, a bad day in the storage world is a, is a really bad day. Um, what was the motivation for for Rook? Uh, because obviously we're seeing more and more software-defined storage systems. It could be Gluster, it could be Ceph, it could be, you know, lots of other things out there. And then Rook came along as a, as a project to kind of be a manager of, of storage systems. Can, can you kind of walk us through... What what is Rook and what was it trying to solve as a as a problem space and kind of where has it evolved? Right, yeah, like you said, storage is traditionally a, a difficult problem to to solve, and uh, storage solutions are are complicated. So what you know we set out from the start was, hey, let's make storage manageable and automatable as much as possible. And so we wanted, well, we started with Ceph as our first storage provider, and we said, how can we make Ceph manageable? You know it. We don't want somebody to be a full-time DevOps that needs to spend all their time on Ceph. Like, let's just make it simple to start. So Rook said, okay, let's uh, do what we call orchestrate. Let's start up all of the demons that need to be started in Ceph and set all the configuration options, have smart defaults that say, you know, let's just get the basic system up and running and then once that's running, oh, there's there are ways to customize it for your environment. But at the end of the day, you know, making Ceph simple to deploy. And then you know we have added other storage providers to to Rook as well. That's in a nutshell. Make storage simple and deployable and and manageable with Kubernetes tools like other applications. And one of the things I, I noticed, I was watching uh, watching your videos, watching your overviews and deep dives. Um, you know, you talked about Rook evolving. You, you had you had watched the the operator framework got announced a couple of years ago, and, and you were watching that, and you said, "Oh, that would be really helpful for us because it 
it keeps track of this complicated system. It uses the primitives and the concepts within Kubernetes. How how has Rook sort of evolved to to mesh with this idea of operators, and then and then how does that help an environment like Ceph, for example? Right, because uh, yeah, I think it was two and a half years ago at that KubeCon Seattle, where the where the first two operators were announced, etcd and Prometheus, from the CoreOS team, and and we said, well, that's exactly what we're doing with Rook. We want to automate what the you know, the storage administrator needs to do with storage. Um, so that concept is the the really the thing that really stood out from that pattern that we that we have really run with though is let's let the administrator define what state he desires his storage to look like. So tell us what settings you want basically and then let Rook go automatically deploy based on those settings. And it's not like a script you run that just does it once. It's something that watches for those settings and watches the environment and, and reconciles or in other words make sure that over time you're storage system stays in that healthy state if things go down well let's make sure it comes back up and just yeah over time making sure you're you're staying in a good state yeah and it was it felt like that was kind of an important concept um because what we think of storage a lot of times as as stateful and, and sometimes people think of it as maybe you know monolithic because they they say oh it's 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 data it's stateful it's monolithic um, you know, a lot of these storage systems under the covers are essentially, you know, distributed applications. They've got, uh, you know, they've got to figure out consensus for their control plane. Uh, they've got to figure out where to spread the data so that they can provide high availability. Um, and it was it was really interesting watching your video because you, it really connected the dots for me where you said, hey, Kubernetes is good and these operator concepts are good at managing distributed applications. It has the ability to do health checks and see what's going on, you could apply that to the underlying subsystems of these, these storage systems. So if one of the master nodes or a monitoring node failed, you could validate it. You could make sure it wasn't just a network failure or a network glitch and then take appropriate actions, like you said, on a on a kind of an ongoing basis, not just a one-time script basis. That's right. And and one thing to clarify as far as the difference between where what Rook is doing and what the storage layer is doing with you know, Ceph specifically, you know, Rook is trying to make sure we're using Kubernetes resources and primitives to run Ceph as an application. And but Rook is not in the data path at all. You know, Ceph provides the data path, and you know, it's it's been around for for a number of years, providing production level storage um, for um, you know enterprise level customers, and so. We didn't want to get into that game of creating a new storage platform because right. it's, it's a hard problem to solve. Right. So we let Ceph, you know, Ceph still manages all that data layer, keep your data healthy, and then Rook makes sure we work with Kubernetes to ensure the longevity of it, okay. availability. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I was I was sort of wondering. I had in my notes, you know, where does where does uh, a an operation framework like Rook stop, and then where does the underlying storage system start? And you know what what interfaces are you having to to deal with? So that that makes a lot of sense. Is that 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 underlying storage system is still there, doing data plane, doing encryption, uh, you know, dealing with all the things that you know used to be RAID management and other stuff like that. And then uh, Rook is really making sure that's that storage system provisioning and, and so forth is healthy. That's that's kind of what you're getting at. 
Right. And then, you know, having the volume of plugins that work well with Kubernetes. And, right, right. Um, CSI yeah, driver. And and, <clears throat> one thing I was going to say the way I say it is um, that Ceph is not aware of Rook, but Rook is aware of Ceph. Uh-huh. And, you know, as, as time goes on, I mean, already um, the status from Ceph and, and can do things like uh, restart, a, you know, a, a storage um, pod or restore, you know, uh, it can it can actually fix things that, that Ceph has told it are, are not working right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we're going to see more of that where, you know, the operator will become more and more aware and be able to fix things before uh, the user has to interact. Right. Um, you know, Annette, you're obviously you're you're testing the platforms, making sure they they they're stable, they run, they're scalable. Um, what are some of the things? Obviously, people aren't you know people are sort of new to containers. They're becoming more mature, but they're you know a lot of times they're coming from. Uh, a different background, maybe it's VMs or bare metal or something. What are some of the things that that you try and think about as you're as you're testing the system or as you're as you're talking to companies, kind of about how to get them comfortable with these new models where where things get provisioned more dynamically or you know they're having to think about kind of virtualized storage is, is software defined versus physical hardware boxes. What are, what are some kind of steps that you're like, okay, think you got to think about this, or this is different than it used to be in the past? Yeah, I think at, at the level that, you know, a storage uh, discussion starts, um, most customers that I've worked with, and, and I don't know if this is Travis's experience, but they're already their Kubernetes or, or OpenShift knowledgeable. So they've already sort of bought into the, you know, containers are good um, for the most part, right? So we're not teaching them about the use of, of containers. So if you then, you know, sort of expose the idea that your storage could become essentially a workload on OpenShift, meaning, you know, you're going to deploy it exactly the same way you would deploy any other workload, but the difference is now that it's going to consume available storage and make it available, you know, to... to um, I think, you know, they they like it because it, it is they, the management to start uh, workloads that are all your advantage is a, is a big advantage um, that you don't have to have like an external storage management system, right, for an external storage solution that is not integrated with the same thing that is is managing your your, your platform. You know, it's very attractive. Travis, I, I know you've spoken a couple of times at, at uh, like like I said, you were at uh, at KubeCon this last year presenting uh, on Rook. Who do you who do you find tends to come to those? It, it is are you getting attracted by infrastructure people, or do, do the developers kind of want to know how this works, or what, what's who's being who's getting attracted to Rook and, and kind of dynamic storage management? Good question. I I feel like and we have a Slack community where I, we get the most chatter and involvement from the community, and I feel like you know there is a lot of, kind of DevOps you know, IT admin people who want to run Rook. They need storage. They they want yeah you know, want to figure out how to run it so i'd say that in my experience is the the greatest number of users that we have but there's definitely developers who who are getting involved uh, well and and then the well the boundary between devops and developers is pretty small too like if you know people need to get things working and so they might even go submit a change to to rook to make their scenario work better since it's all open source 
anybody can contribute. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, I, I was curious because I know uh, in, in one of your talks, you, you know, you asked who was running it in production and there were some hands that were raised. And um, I, I can definitely see the appeal for uh, development teams who say, well, you know, in the past it was difficult, you know, it took too long to get storage. We could just run, uh, you know, Ceph or Gluster or any storage system as a, almost as an application, run Rook on top of that, you know, integrate it in. But then do they want to deal with the sort of day-to-day of storage, things like backups and DR and designer on that? And so I'm, I'm curious, are they interested in sort of the first part of that, you know, just get storage for my applications really fast? Or are you seeing a trend where uh, they, they want to own the life cycle of that data uh, through all the other things that you have to do uh, around storage and compliance and uh, that sort of stuff? Or maybe maybe you haven't seen a trend yet. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a trend yet as far as the whole life cycle of uh, compliance and things. That I'm just guessing that those level of customers that have to deal with compliance would be waiting for more of the the official um, d- downstream products, where yeah. today Rook is, is upstream only uh, for a bit longer, at least. So, um, you know, there are definitely people asking, "Well, how do I back up Rook itself?" and and things like that. And you know, finding solutions for the end-to-end. Yeah. So there's definitely interest there, but okay. it's it's still all new. Good. Yeah, and and since we, you know, Red Hat has had a, an available OpenShift container storage product, um, not based on Ceph, but based on Gluster for the last two years. Um, I can tell you, you know, that as you as you get past deployment. Um, they, that those those requirements start coming up uh, very quickly, if not even during a you know trying to make a decision about using this type of storage. So you know there's a lot of companies that um, if they're going to go from traditional storage to using you know something that's managed with an OpenShift, they want to know you know well how do I back up? How do I upgrade? How do I extend or how do I expand my storage? So what what I, I like about um, you know working with Rook so far and the the operator capability is just how easy um, you know the, some of those day two act, what you could call day two activities are actually going to be um, you know things like uh, if I want to expand the storage either by adding more storage nodes in OpenShift or or adding more storage to the existing nodes. Uh, it's it's literally just adding a, a uh, what we call a custom resource definition file, and and telling the the operator, hey, here's more storage, and the the user actually doesn't have to do anything. The operator sees it, uh, does everything it needs to add it to the cluster, and within I don't know a, a short time, you know we're talking minutes, you you have more storage. Same thing with upgrading from from one uh, major uh, stuff release to another. So these, you know, these kinds of helps, I think, um, with just how do you do day two activities is going to be a big, you know, a, a big thing for, for users. They're, you know, they'll have to test it and they'll have to trust it. But compared to how it has been done um, even now, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a brand new world. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've been uh, I've been really pleasantly surprised at. Um, you know, what people have been able to do with operators uh, while the technology is still sort of new. I, I think people are, are finally connecting the dots between 
Um, you know, here was these things that that Kubernetes can do in terms of being deterministic and, and getting things to a, a well-known state. And then people start going, oh, okay, I can apply that logic on an ongoing basis with health checks, with CRDs to, to kind of keep the system going all the time. And they start to really connect the dots of this isn't just an automate once system. This is an automate all the time system. And it's so it's really it's really encouraging to see how far the systems are, are beginning to come along, right? It, it was, uh, you know, connect external storage, begin to connect to software defined storage. Now we have uh, sort of storage managers like like Rook that can help a lot of different things. And then operators become that next layer of, of trying to automate it, make it consistent, get it to get it to where you want to be and, and deal with failure. So it's exciting to watch all these things come along. Uh, thank you both for, for working in this space and continuing to make it uh, easier. Um, you know, what are some things, you know, if people want to go learn more about this, whether it's about the upstream projects or, you know, some of the other technologies, what are maybe a couple of good places for them to go check out or maybe some, you know, events or webinars that might be coming up that they could go check out? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll um, at at our um, user conference for Red Hat, um, the summit 2019 in Boston. Uh, there's going to be a, a couple. Uh, there'll be a lab um, that I'm actually involved in, which will be OpenShift, the the newer version of OpenShift, OpenShift four, with um, our, our next evolution of uh, OpenShift container storage using Rookceph. And so there'll be a, a lab that people could take if they happen to be there, as well as um, I'm doing a workshop also using Rook upstream, but in this case, we're integrating it with OpenShift, the current version of, of OpenShift, OpenShift uh, 3. And so those, you know, if, if they happen to be at the user's conference, that's a couple of things they could do. Um, what, what else do you think, Travis, in terms of people actually trying this out? I mean, I have some other ideas, but... Um, another conference well kubecon is is our big conference we're always there um there's always a couple of talks around rook intro and deep dive talks and recordings are available for those for the last couple of kubecons like you mentioned as well um otherwise i mean there's documentation just go to rook.io click on the documentation link to get started and we tried to tried to make it user friendly um our slack group is is where a good place to ask questions as you get started a pretty active community um, okay. just wanting to help things get going. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And we'll get all those in the show notes and uh, folks can can dive into it. This is one of those topics that, uh, you know, we, we probably could have gone very, very deep on uh, for anybody that's that's dealt with storage in the past. The internals of how the system work are, are incredibly important. And uh, a lot of the things that we'll put in the show notes for you, if you want to dive into it, you can really kind of see how the two systems interact, how they interact uh, with Kubernetes, and definitely worth taking a look at if, if responsibility for storage is, is part of your day-to-day activity. So Annette and Travis, thank you so much for the conversation today. Really enjoyed it. Uh, folks, as always, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for telling a friend. Thank you for rating it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And With that, we're going to wrap it up for this week. So thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podcontrol.com, P-O-D-C-T-L, or at Pod Control on Twitter. We'll talk to you again next week.